for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. And welcome to Missouri State Week. Big game for the Jackrabbits. The guy who covers them will get you all set for them. We are at the Gateway Lounge, football in full swing. Matt's going to the Vikings game on Sunday. Uh, against the Lions, and uh, that's that's an interesting team. Tale of two teams, game one, game two. I was going to say, I secured the tickets between games one and two, so that it kind of explains why I'm going for the game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After the Lions win, or the, the Packers win, before the uh, Eagles loss. Okay, uh, fair enough. I mean, there's not much to say. The Vikings uh, flat out sucked against the Eagles, but it's, it's it'll be interesting to see what we can make of all of it. Come on down to the Gateway Lounge. It's your best place to watch sports, especially on NFL Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of great sports bars in town, and this is not the only one Matt and I go to. But when it comes to wall-to-wall, big-ass, big-screen TVs next to each other, movie theater type of setting, you can see all of them at once because, of course, they have the NFL ticket package. They have awesome service. Thank you very much. Fresh Oktoberfests and Budweiser's at our table. And uh, and then on, th- on Thursday nights, they got these two leather chairs, these leather recliner chairs, uh, right there to look straight at their biggest screen, their, their giant projector in the place. And uh, you come here on a Thursday night, uh, put your name in a, in a drawing. They draw your name, you get to sit in that seat for the whole game and uh, free 12-inch pizza, free round of drinks, and... Uh, and then you're in the drawing to win those two leather chairs from Conlon's at the end of the year. So a lot of good reasons to come down, enjoy yourself, watch sports at the Gateway Lounge. All right. Um, yeah. After watching what the Eagles did to the Vikings, on, I mean, that was, that was felonious. That was, that was murder. Uh, once again, happens when the Vikings go there. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, how, you said you made this decision before to go to this game before I mean, I you to saw go, the, I you're going to go anyway. I want to take Arthur to It's a fun game. to go to Vikings yeah. games. I mean, it's um, a fun in, experience no matter how good they are. Yeah, but but yeah, and then, like I said, knowing that I wasn't going to be traveling for the SDSU game this week, um, you know, figured, hey, you get a rare a rare weekend off, take advantage of it. So we're going to go to the cities as a family and try to have some fun. Uh, but yeah, after the Vikings beat the Packers and looked so good in week one, it was like, hey, all right, you know, this is exciting. And then... Um, I certainly wasn't surprised that they lost to the Eagles, but it was disappointing to see them play as poorly as they did. Uh, they looked a lot like Mike Zimmer's Vikings, frankly. And I don't mean to piss on Mike Zimmer too much because for the most part I was a fan of his. But, you know, last year was ugly and we saw, you know, Kirk Cousins kind of start to fall apart at times and the defense didn't look good. And, and that was the case again against the Eagles. Um, I was, you know, stunned by how poorly Kirk Cousins played. Um and but the defense too, you know, just it was it was just a terrible football game. I think I'm not you know reading into it too much. It's a bad game, you know. Bad games happen, especially on the road. Uh, I liked that Kevin O'Connell essentially took the blame for it after the game. Whether that's true or not, I thought that was given with the state of the Vikings before he took over, and that it was apparent that Mike Zimmer was kind of blaming everyone but himself yes. as things started to, to get bad. I think it was encouraging to hear hear him get up and say, this one's on me. You know, I didn't have the right game plan or I didn't have him prepped and ready to go, whatever it was. 
Um, and, you know, probably a learning experience for him because I do think he got out coached in addition to a bunch of guys just playing crappy. So um, I think the Lions are actually a pretty good litmus test here because they've looked okay through the first two games. You know, played the Eagles a hell of a lot tougher than the Vikings no did. No kidding. And then uh, beat the, uh, what are they called? The No, the Indians are the Guardians. The Redskins are now the... Commanders. Warrior, commanders, thank you. Yes. Got to get the names right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I think the Vikings should beat the Lions at home. And uh, if they don't, then then maybe it's time to worry a little bit. And if they do, then maybe we can say, all right, you know, loss to the Eagles notwithstanding, things are still okay. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the rainbows and unicorns and sparkle ponies went away pretty quickly in Philadelphia. And it's interesting because O'Connell said, who everybody was just in love with uh, after that Packers game, said uh, I kind of he said before the game before the game he said I hope I kind of hope we get down 7-0 because I want to see how they Respond. take take a punch you know to the face and uh, he got his answer emphatically and uh, it was it's also quite apparent that this Vikings defense I mean we could get into Kirk Cousins and the fact that Dalvin Cook is uh, looks to be quickly on the downhill uh, trend uh, with his speed as a running back but uh, this defense is predicated, like a lot of NFL defenses are in the modern game, on the pass rush because there's hardly anything on the back end. We knew that coming in, hardly any experience or real or you know, true NFL, what you require talent. And Harry Smith is going to get old eventually. We've yeah. been waiting for it for a couple years. I think he got a concussion in that game, didn't he? He did. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, already uh, the last couple of years he's been kind of like, wow, he's still good, huh? Yeah. Like, you kind of feel like Father Time is going to catch up to him eventually. Well, and it's, it appears to have caught up with Eric Kendricks as well. Just two years ago, he was a pro bowler and one of the best linebackers in the league, and everybody loves him. He's got a great mind. He's a terrific personality and a, a glue guy, but uh, he, he's slow. He's slowed it down. He, he's, he dropped off last year, and it looks even worse now. And so it's a, it, it feels like it's a boomer bust for the Vikings on defense if they can't get to the quarterback. And Jalen Hurts, I mean, you're trying to tackle a 230-pound refrigerator. That was a nightmare matchup. This week, a little more favorable for the Vikings defense because you have Jared Goff, and he's a statue. But, uh, yeah, these aren't the same old Lions, you know. These are the plucky Dan Campbell Lions. And uh, the game that you'll be at, the atmosphere you'll be in hey, look it's one of the toughest places to play in the league and one of the funnest places to go to a game that purple palace but vikings fans being vikings fans having seen everything in their whole life uh, mostly fatalistic if the lions get ahead in this game and maybe up by 10 or 14 points that's going to be a groaning grumbling kind of uh borderline toxic place to be so uh what did you uh i'll be honest with you i didn't see much of this game and i figured after seeing it was 24 7 early third i didn't um, I was working. I was working late at the TV station, glancing up at it every now and then. Uh, was Kirk Cousins primetime Kirk, or was it he everybody? Very was it everybody's fault? He played very poorly. Um, first interception, I think, was Justin Jefferson's fault. Troy Aikman certainly made that case, and he made a convincing case why. Um, he, and he also threw a pass, a, the best pass he threw all night. One of the best passes, probably he's ever thrown. He was uh, under pressure and kind of lofted one up for Irv Smith. And uh, he pulled a Christian Watson, was just streaking down the field wide open and dropped it. Okay. Would have been a touchdown. Yeah. Um, and if that gets caught, it's a different game. And uh, also they blocked a field goal, and I can't remember who picked up the field goal, but he got caught by the holder. I mean, he just scoops up a blocked field goal. That's supposed to be a free touchdown. Yeah. And the holder tackled God. him from behind. Like, come on. So they had some chances as poorly as they played. Um, but Cousins, with that really good throw to, to Smith notwithstanding, uh, was very – was not good at all and, and especially in the second half 
first half, you know, it was okay. Didn't do anything great, but didn't really do anything horrible. Second half, especially as the Vikings fell behind, he started taking some chances, making some throws. His last interception, I tweeted like, "Is he drunk?" I mean, it was just like, <laughs> "What is he doing?" Like, he's supposed to be, you know, that, that's the kind of throw a, a rookie third-round draft pick makes. You know, to see that that was just even when Kirk is bad, he doesn't usually do that kind of thing where he just makes a terrible decision. You go, "What is he thinking there?" Uh, and I don't know, maybe he just thought the hell with it. We're you know about to lose anyway. I don't know, but it was. It was a very poor performance by him, and I'm kind of used to that now at this point, that he's going to have one or two or three stinkers out of 16, 17 games. You know, and, and that's what separates Kirk Cousins from you know, the Tom Brady's and Pat Mahomes and, and Aaron Rodgers. Those guys, they generally don't have any stinkers. You know, Rodgers kind of did week one, but for the most part, those guys, you know, they are who they are 16 games, 17 games a year. Kirk's a guy who's you know, great four times a year, bad four times a year and pretty good eight times a yeah. year, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. so I just chalk this up as one of his bad games. He's going to have a few of them. Yeah, it's not like anyone was surprised. It'd be nice if he could surprise us and do something like that. It's a thing where he he's great at it, – it, it's just a fact. He's great at noon games against teams like the Lions, and he'll rack up big stats in those games. And he's really shitty in primetime. He's like a 2-20 and 20 primetime quarterback. At some point, the, any stat in sports like that, at some point you have to stop apologizing for someone. Is it all his fault in each of these cases? No. But uh, the defense didn't show up either. But at some point when it's that big of a sample size, there's something about playing under the lights where we all know the whole nation is watching, and he's not good at it. Whether it's in his head or what, he's yeah. not good at it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it's usually going to be against good teams because it's a primetime game. Right. right. And, uh, of course, it leads you to believe – He's, you know, he's going to only ever take you so far in the playoffs as well, and it's going to be, and that should be the thought until uh, he proves anybody differently. At the same time, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not going to say I'm over Kirk Cousins. I'm just over the whole discussion about him. Right. That brought it all up again because it was a primetime game. But it's kind, it's kind of like, do we, do we have to talk about this every week? Do we have to bring it up all the time? It's we, we know what we're getting with Kirk Cousins. With Dalvin Cook, it's a little different. Um, now, you're playing from behind. You're not going to go to him a whole lot uh, when you're down by multiple scores in Philly. But, yeah, he's got 107 yards through two games. He's averaging four yards a carry. Uh, I don't have as long as – what I'm looking at this – oh, his long run in 26 carries is 16 yards. I mean, is it, he's, he's – look, they've, they've beaten him up to death. Um, but it kind of – you've got to start to wonder, especially with all the injuries he's been through, if he's – Kind of already getting cooked. I think that's a little premature. Okay, but, but I but it's worth keeping an eye on. Not to say he can't. Hey, not to say. He's I mean, not, Kevin O'Connell did say after the game, he's like, one of the things, he's like, I didn't even give Dalvin Cook a chance to be a factor in this football game. That's okay. one of the mistakes that I made. So. All right, fair enough. Uh, so, what are you most looking forward to with bringing your kid to his first Vikings game? Five-year-old. Um, he's six now. Six now. Uh, well, just, happy birthday. I just hope he has a good time. You know, yeah. when uh, I took him to his first Twins game in April, I didn't know how he was going to respond. You know, if by the second inning, he'd be like, can we go? You know, because yeah. kids have small attention spans. But he had an absolute blast. He never asked to leave. You know, he he sort of seemed to get it. You know, and he really loves baseball. That's He has said to me multiple times, Matt, I like baseball. More. And he always is apologetic. He's like, is it okay that I like baseball more than basketball, that I like baseball more than football? And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. And uh, I told him, same with me. It's my favorite sport too. But um, I still didn't know – if he would sort of get it, but he did. We walked into Target Field, and he had been to the Birdcage before. He'd been to the ballpark in Renner, 
Um, but to walk in and see this, you know, giant stadium with the scoreboard and the, you know, grandstand and, and all of it and looking out on the, you know, pristine grass and whatnot, he, he immediately got it. You know, our seats were behind home plate, but we walked in the gate in left field. And he, when we walked in, he was so excited. He made, I said, no, our seats are over there. He's like, no, no. He insisted that we go right down to the front row in left field, right where we walked in. So he could just take it in, you know, and, and wow. look and see all the grass and everything. And, wow. and, uh, and so, yeah, then we went, we got a hot dog and, you know, he got a soda and I got a beer and we sat there and, and uh, yeah. He, he, and, you know, he pays attention to the game. He understands, like, you know, three strikes and you're out. You have to touch home to get a, a point. I keep telling them they're not r points, they're runs, yep. you know, that kind of thing. Um, but he doesn't s quite sort of grasp yet the strategy that's going on or, you know, oh, it's three to one in the fourth inning. Like, what does that even mean? He doesn't really know yet. But And then as far as football, we I told him on Monday night, his bedtime's usually 8 or 8.30. I said, I tell you what, if you watch the Vikings game with me and you're good, I'll let you stay up till halftime which is like 9.30. <clears throat> and he was like, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, deal. And then he told Jen that I had made that deal with him, and she was kind of like, are you kidding me, dude? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I did. Because that's what my dad used to do with me. My, my yeah. bedtime was 9 o'clock when I was a kid. Yeah. And when the Vikings played on Monday night, he would let me stay up till halftime. And eventually I talked him into letting me stay up for the whole game. Sure. Because I, I cared. You know, I was like, you cannot expect me to go to bed. When the Vikings yeah. are tied, I'm not gonna be able to fall asleep you know, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, but so anyway, that was the first time he'd really sat and watched a football game, and he had no idea what was going on. Oh. And as I tried to explain it to him, I realized just how complicated football actually is if you if you're coming to it completely blind. You know, we pick up on it just because through repetition. But you think about it, just trying to start from scratch, like. Okay, you have four chances to get ten yards, and then you get another four chances. But then, on, if you don't get it on the f first three, you either go for it or you punt or you kick a field goal. And you know you th the difference between running plays and passing plays, and why the clock stops when you go out of bounds or on an incomplete pass, or you know why why is why is it touchdown six, but then there's seven? Well, you get one point for kicking it. Like I thought, you got three points for kicking it. You know, like it's just. Yeah. He was trying really hard, and I was just realizing, like, wow, this is actually pretty complicated. And I told him, I was like, you just got to keep watching. Eventually, it'll start to make sense. People, You just sort of have to figure it out on your own. And by about the second quarter, because also the Vikings were playing terrible, I could tell he was losing interest. And then he said to me at one point, he's like, can we cheer for the Eagles instead? And I said, no, we can't. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, But I had pointed out that Dallas Goddard, um, there, uh, there's a, a picture um, in my living room on the wall of me interviewing Dallas Goddard and Jake Winicky. And uh, so I had pointed, see that guy in the wall? Like, he's playing for the Eagles right now. I said, you can cheer for him. You can't cheer for the Eagles, but you can cheer for him. And Dallas had a really good game. He had, like, five catches and a big block. So so that was, you know, we'll see what it's like when we actually get into the stadium. And we do have pretty good seats, so I, I hope he'll be able to have a little bit of interest. Also, you know, there's the giant, you know, video board in the middle that'll probably help out but yes i don't know we'll see the well the people watching will be quite interesting for them as well i mean there were probably 20 or thirty thousand people at that baseball game you went to but there's going to be 70 it was full. at this it was full. one um, and it, it, what, what's also going to be interesting is I, I don't know if you've thought for a second about this i i i'm guessing you haven't but Back in the old daily sports talk days, we'd have this discussion on occasion, usually when we were chatting about should 
Nebraska, should Iowa, should South Dakota State allow alcohol sales at their games? You uh -huh. know, and of course, Craig always played the fuddy-duddy. No, you don't need it. And it's uh, and anyway, the 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 course against it was always, have you been to a Vikings game? I would never take a kid there because everybody's it's so drunk. And uh, there's it's not like everybody's drunk, but the people who are, you know, you, it's it's impossible to go to a Vikings game, and including my own ten experiences in my life where somebody in earshot, somebody within 10 or 20 feet of where you're sitting is just a big, dumb, fucking drunk idiot mm -hmm. cursing and being a loud mouth the whole game. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that an acceptable experience for anyone, let alone, right. but especially the kids? So is that something you're anticipating uh, or care about? I, I went to a Vikings game with my dad when I was maybe 12 or 13 where we were right behind a bunch of college kids, and they ruined it for us. It was awful. Yeah. Uh, there were, like, five of them, and they were all drinking, but only one guy was, like, way out of control. And the thing that was so obnoxious was that his other four friends wouldn't do anything about it. Because we kept saying, like, would you get your buddy under control? And they'd be like, yeah, 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 and then they wouldn't do anything. Yeah. And the guy was just next-level drunk. And uh, he, he saw that I was there. Like I said, I was, like, 12. And you could see him always kind of looking at me like, uh, he's old enough that I'm not embarrassed about that. You know, like, I think he was kind of like, you're old enough, I don't care. And he ended up getting in a fight with the guy that was sitting next to me and my dad. My dad and I were pretty good at just ignoring him. But another guy was there, and they got in, a, like, an actual, like, sort of fist fight, sort of pushing and shoving. And uh, someone called security. This is, like, the early 1990s. There's no cell phones, you know, or anything yeah. like that. Uh, so someone got a hold of a security guy, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't throw him out. They were just like, oh, come on, you know, get it. You know, get your let's let's all behave. Let's try to get along. And it was just, you know, one of the nice things about going to stadiums now. They show the the thing on the scoreboard. Like if someone around you is being an asshole, text this number and we'll come and get rid of them. And I've seen that happen multiple times. Wow. At at, at different games. Um, so and also the fact that we have uh, decent seats. I'm hoping that means that. You know, I think the farther away you get, sometimes that For, means. Oh sure. Yeah. You know, the more you have to worry about that, but. I don't know. You never know. Well, I had decent seats at my last Vikings game six years ago. Row 25, corner, uh, well, about 10-yard line. These were Craig's tickets. And uh, there was one ass. Of course, it was a Cowboys fan. I mean, stereotypes are true. Okay? And I'm mm -hmm. married to one, and Gilbert and I have talked about this a lot, but it's just hard to go anywhere. <laughs> it's hard to go to a sports bar anywhere in America. And I've lived in four different states. Every time I have a bad experience at a sports bar, even sometimes the gateway, there's some cowboy fan who just is a, there is just obnoxious. Not that there aren't obnoxious fans from every team, mm -hmm. but if a cowboy game is on, there's just going to be that one cowboy asshole. Mm -hmm. We had that guy behind us at this uh, Vikings game, and these guys were from North. Okay, I'll just say it. They were from Northwest Iowa, and uh, they, they they did not help the, the stereotype of people who are from small towns. Period. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and uh, they uh, they they were saying. They're just being factually incorrect. I mean, for better or for worse, certainly I spent the week up until this game researching some things about the Vikings and Cowboys because it was my job. Mm -hmm. And so he started to say things that weren't just like a little off, stats, this or that, like just really dumb shit things. And I'm kind of like, you're a Cowboys fan. How could you be this dumb right. about your team? And then, it, and some of it was like derogatory and belligerent. So then I felt like after about a quarter, and you could feel everybody else around us just kind of like, uh, 
making everybody uncomfortable. And so I finally started correcting him on shit, and he went right at. I mean, he just, like verbally started going right at me, like, "Oh, now I have now now I have found somebody to pick on. Now uh-huh. I've got now I have found somebody to potentially fight." Uh-huh. And his two fucking friends had the kind of. Uh, and by the way, these were not college kids. These were this was a guy in his fifties. They're with his son, by the way, who uh-huh. was in his twenties. And I find uh, the couple times I looked back, I could tell his son was embarrassed. Uh-huh. And uh, my, main, meanwhile, my husband's trying to tell me to shut up, don't engage, uh-huh. like, don't escalate this. But then eventually, people around me were like, the, the people on the other side of me from Gilbert were like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying something to this guy. And he wanted to fight me. And uh, eventually they left in like the late third, early fourth quarter. And at one point when he went up to get a, dr- when he went up to leave, his son like whispered in my ear, he's like, thank you and I'm really sorry. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Uh-huh. So you just, that's, and you know what, that's the bigger picture of, I love sports and I love sporting events and there's, there's nothing that beats the live uh, unscripted drama of them. And there's even as as big as TVs get, and as as more advantageous. You and I have talked about this mm-hmm. a zillion times as it is to just stay at your in your living room and watch games. Nothing beats a live sporting event, but th- that is kind of you just never know what you're gonna. You pay a lot of money to go see these things. You go through, a, especially if you have to drive four hours from Sioux Falls. You you sacrifice a lot, and it might not be your team might not win a and and b. And we 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 get over that more easily as we get older. But B, it just might be a bad experience, and you're just always kind of rolling the dice when, when you Sounds do Sounds like you've had a lot more bad experiences than I have. I, well, I mean, I mean it's happened just... to me once or twice, but <laughs> I've never felt like, oh, is it safe to go to a yeah, – I, I didn't say the word it. safe, but uh-huh. um, but then again, I you know, and, and you're wrong. I went to the Brett Favre, um, Greg Lewis game against the 49ers, Brett Favre's first game in the Dome, and, and – uh, that was terrific. So mm-hmm. you're, you're probably right. Usually it's going to end up okay, but uh, which leads me to is SDSU, are they selling beer? Is it, did they mm-hmm. start that this year? Mm-hmm. Anything about this? Any feedback? Any um, observations? So far, everything sounds good. Um, you know, not that they're going to, you know, you call up the school themselves and ask them how's it going. They're, you know, they're going to tell you it's going great. Yeah. Um, but, right. you know, <laughs> I, I, I had – I had some just sort of casual conversations with Justin Sell and Jeff Holm, their assistant AD, and you know how long I've known Jeff, and you know he, he would level with me, and he's like, "We haven't had complaints yet," was basically what he said. Like, not saying it's going perfect, not saying there hasn't been anything, but we haven't had any complaints yet. Was how he answered my question. Okay. Um, and it seems like it's going pretty smooth. Um, Does the atmosphere seem any different? I mean, I you know I don't know. I'm uh in the press box, you know, most That's of the true. time. Yeah, they were way up there. Although the most recent game um, against Butler, I did go down on the field for the second quarter, which I never do, um, just to take some photos because we didn't have – Aaron couldn't go to the game to take pictures. And I was like, well, just I'll just bring my camera and I'll do it. That was fun, by the way. I hadn't been down on the sidelines during a Jacks game really ever. And uh, to get it – there was a great crowd, 16,000, to be down on the sidelines. Was this for the Butler game? 16,000 yeah. for Butler. Mm-hmm. All right. Um to be down there on the sidelines and just sort of experience what the noise is like, what the atmosphere is like when there's a full house at that stadium, it was really cool. I mean, it was a perfect night for football, you know, like 60 degrees, no wind, you know, um, just a beautiful night, and, the, and the, they were playing well. And um, But that was really cool. Um, I did kind of wonder, I was like, as I walked down the stairs onto the field, I was like, well, they got beer now. Is some drunk asshole going to start yelling at me from the sidelines, you know? And that didn't happen. And I did notice um, when I go to the when – when the game's over, I have to kind of cut through 
the crowd to get from the press box to where the press conference is in the Dyke House Center after the game. And, you know, this is extremely anecdotal, but it did kind of seem, as I was walking through the crowd to get there, like, some of these people look kind of drunk. You know, <laughs> just, you know, three hours of being able to drink beers. I mean, there was nobody puking or stumbling around or anything, but, you know, it just sort of, you could smell beer, and some people kind of had that shine on them a little bit, yep. you know, and that, yep. that you're used to seeing, and, you know, maybe that makes it a little different. I mean, it, I think it's encouraging to hear them say there haven't been any complaints yet because I think if something had gotten really bad, there probably would be complaints. You know, they talked about being ready for this with as far as security. I mean, one of the complaints about Jack's games prior to this has been that the security at games is, is too aggressive. So I don't know that there's necessarily concern that there wouldn't be any, you know, they wouldn't be able to, to keep that under control or whatever. So uh, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I think it's long overdue. I think they haven't you know, released any sales figures or anything like that, but they're selling them for eight bucks a pop. I'm sure that's making some nice, of course, a nice little chunk of change for them. So I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, you want the thing that Justin Sell has always understood that Willie Sanchez understood when he was at USF, that Josh Morton understands at Augustana is that we're trying to make the schools here in South Dakota, the experience like, when you go to a Husker game or an Iowa game. Now, obviously, it's never going to be the same because these aren't stadiums that hold 75,000 people. This isn't a Big Ten football game. But we're trying to sort of leave this, you know, Division II, GPAC, NAIA mindset behind where, like, you know, these football, like, like we're not allowed to have fun at these football yeah. games. Like, that they can't be events. You know, that's what SDSU and Augustana in, in particular, and maybe USD, I can't speak for them as much because I haven't, I'm hardly ever down there. But they've been trying so hard. We want this to be an event. You know, we want Dana J. Dykehouse on a Saturday to be a place where, hey, let's get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and get there early and have our gr little portable grills out and our coolers and tailgate for two hours, then go to the game, stay at the game. You know, that's what they want it to be. And Augie's been doing a good job of that, too. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what college football's supposed to be. And just because you're Division Two or FCS or you're not in the Big Ten doesn't mean you can't do that. And it just feels like a lot of this stuff is long overdue. It's like, hey, this is how we should have been doing it all along. Yeah. I mean, hey, you got to keep up with Howard Wood Field as well. I mean, they've been, people do have been doing that at Howard Wood Field. Yeah. The best place to tailgate in South Dakota 20 years ago was the Dakota Bowl. Yeah. Before the O'Gorman oh, game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. We used it, to do it. But even uh, as I drive in to do high school games there almost every Friday night, you see RVs and you see trucks and you see people tailgating and you see kids, little kids throwing the football mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is, you know, and there's usually five to 10,000 people at those games. And uh, that's just basically what football should be. By the way, uh, same thing in Iowa. They just started a year or two ago selling beer at those games. You were covering an 11 a.m. game. I understand you were in the press box most of the time. But did it seem did it seem too drunk or did it seem drunk at all? Or did, um, could you the notice game, the game was so incredibly boring that I think it <laughs> sucked the life out of everyone there, whether they were yeah. drinking or not. Fair enough. By the way, do you think that sucked the life out of some Jacks fans for a couple of weeks? Uh, maybe. Um, I've noticed. I mean, that the attendance has been great. Attendance was great for both home games. They had both were top ten crowds all time. Okay. Um, I have noticed. Uh, some of the traffic on the stories I've been writing since the Iowa game are a little down from what they usually are. They were huge for the Iowa game. Yep. Um, anything I wrote about that game got tremendous amount of uh, clicks and traffic and whatnot. Because it was a highly anticipated game. I think there were fans from both sides were consuming that content because everyone was wondering how the game was going to go. Then the game was so uh, 
unique, I guess, in how it, it played out. Uh, had a lot of eyeballs on it. Then they play Cal Davis and, you know, got the win, but that was sort of a nondescript, I would say slightly disappointing how they won that game. You know, they had to, they yeah. were in control, had to fend off a late comeback, Blocked. still didn't really have any explosive plays offensively. Yeah. Um, and then last week, yeah, they got the offense going a little bit, but it was against a, essentially a Division three team. And even even scoring 45 points and, and getting finally getting the offense going a little bit, it still wasn't the you know home run hitting explosive big play offense that we have seen. It was just better than what we'd seen before. So I do you know wonder if a little bit people are kind of going, geez, this this is this because that's the other thing. And a good friend of mine who uh, is a diehard Jacks fan, season ticket holder, and he texts me multiple times a week about the previous game, the upcoming game, you know, injuries, what's going on. He's a, as engaged a fan as you could be. And he texted me halfway through the Butler game, and he was like, this is the third consecutive incredibly boring game the Jacks have played. And I thought, ah, I can see where you're coming from with that. The Iowa game was boring. I think the fact that it was against a Big Ten team in a Big Ten stadium and the way it played out still kept your interest a little of bit. Of course. You know, and then the Davis game was boring, I thought. You know, he's just kind of ho-hum, let's get the win and get out of here. And Butler was a little bit of that, too, partly just because you knew because of the opponent, they're not going to lose this game. There was no drama. You know, there were some big plays, but it was still kind of, you know. So so to be clear, I'm not saying that they've had played three straight boring games, uh, but that's what one of their most loyal diehard fans said. So if, if that's apparently at least an opinion that's out there and <laughs> – that's kind of interesting if, if that's what how some people have interpreted the first three games. Well, I mean, f full disclosure here, we had huge numbers for this podcast for the Iowa game during the week building up to it. And uh, last couple of weeks, this being somewhat, somewhat, not fully a Jackrabbit podcast, um, you know, I, I found that to be, I, I don't know if that's telling or not, it's hard to always correlate this to that. Um, well, the, the non-conference games that aren't the FBS game, are always the least interesting games. Of, of the course. Year. But know? so it, well, I think maybe, you know, this is the first Valley game, but also it's a big test. Like I think a lot of Jacks fans are, you know, this can kind of segue into our looking at the next game. Like I think people are looking at this game like, okay, now we're gonna kind of figure out how good they are. You know, I won't be surprised if they lose. They're playing the number four team in the country on the road. You know, it's mildly surprising that they're favored. They're three and a half point favorites. Well and having watched uh, just having watched the the Coyotes play there last year uh, at night, um, it, I mean, it's a raucous crowd down there. They, it, it didn't take Bobby Petrino long to mm -hmm. get the program going and to get fans back to the games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but and, and I do want to really sink our teeth into it. But I'll, but I, the, the fact that the last couple games, you said these are two of the top ten attendance all time, two of the top five, top ten, top ten. And we and again, you can't just say, well, because of this, this is why this happened. But I mean, I do find it interesting. First. Right away, this is the first season they've had sold beer at the stadium. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, the Jacks have been, it's not like the Jacks just became a top five program. Right. And they didn't even beat Iowa. And yet these first two games, mm -hmm. huge crowds, I, you do got to wonder what part of that pie of the why. Well, a lot of those tickets were probably bought before they, you know, before these games were played. So why do you suppose that such, because it's usually been the last few years uh, that the attendance has been dipping there, hasn't no, it? No, last year it, it came up after the pandemic. Okay. And that, okay. that both surprised and impressed me because I had been hard on them ever since they built Dana J. Dykos Stadium, and largely because of their own expectations. They're the ones saying, like, anything less than 15,000, we should be disappointed. We should never have uh, a four-digit 
crowd anymore. You know, it should always be minimum 10, 12,000. And, and obviously they were falling well short of their own goals. Yes. Um, then you go into the pandemic, you play a season without fans. I thought coming out of the pandemic, it was going to be even worse that, you know, just you lost whatever momentum you had. People are still maybe going to be gun shy about going about it back out into public spaces around a lot of other people. Even in South Dakota. Yeah, the exact opposite happened. Uh, they had great attendance last year, and uh, it looks like they're picking that up again this year. I, you know, there's a lot of reasons. The weather's been great for both of the two games. They're, that, selling, yeah. beer, they're selling beer now. We know it's going to be a good team. Uh, but I also think... I think Justin Sell and his department deserve some credit for, you know, I don't know if they'd ever admit it, but I think they, they took a look at, you know, when the numbers weren't that great before the pandemic and said, all right, maybe we gotta, we got to be more aggressive or we got to do different things. I mean, they, they haven't come out with like, oh, here's our new thing that we're doing. I don't know that they've made some sweeping changes to how they've tried to sell tickets, but whatever they're doing, it's working. I, I think they've really found a way to say, okay, we can't just – clearly we can't just – Build a new stadium, open the gates, and expect people to just show up 20,000 en masse. We've got to go out and do some of the work, and I think they've done some of the work. Well, we've talked about this a zillion times as well. Across the board in South Dakota and probably everywhere, it's just harder to get people to go to games, period, yep. because of giant TVs and the comfort level of being at home. Um, and having worked now for an organization in Sioux Falls, the Canaries, who continue to struggle to get fans there, I can tell you it is a big mind fuck. I mean, it is it is tough, You could try, and you try to push every button you can, this and that. And you, you, but you mentioned the weather right away. That's mm -hmm. I can tell you from experience. If you're an outdoor team, uh, you, you can look to, gee, why are there, where is there nobody here tonight? Oh, because it's really fucking cold, or mm -hmm. it, or the it's the forecast, or it's or it's a zillion degrees outside. Yeah. The weather still yep. dictates so much. But I can also tell you to your last point that um, it, it can be good, solid, hard work, uh, introspective evaluation and insight. And uh, sometimes it comes down to, and I don't know if this is the case in the SDSU athletic department or not. I can tell you from a uh, from a minor league franchise point of view, and this is not to, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to watch what I say because I'm a Canaries person, but how good is your sales staff? There are people whose job it mm -hmm. is to basically cold to call people or call up you, people who have been regular uh, season ticket holders or regular fans. There's a list, and 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 how the the human one on one personal. Do, do the people that are, whose job is to make those phone calls and reach out to to either ticket holders you already have or potentially could have? How good are they at that job? Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know, and how many of them do you have? You know, have you hired the right ones? Mm -hmm. And how many do you have to go out there and do that? Mm -hmm. I can say that's a big reason why I know for a fact because I know the sales director of the Stampede. Why the Stampedes have been able to just be Teflon to COVID and to the trend of. Everywhere else people are declining to go to games, they've got a good, strong, big sales staff to make that touch to get people to come to games. So all kinds of things go into it. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, you, your latest article, Argus Leader for this Missouri State game. Uh, you're playing against the Missouri Valley Offensive Player of the Year, Jason Shelley, the uh, Missouri State quarterback. What? Uh, how equipped are the Jackrabbits to handle him? Um, well, their defense has been their strength so far, you know, I mean, and that's even with a lot of injuries to all three levels of that defense, it's been really good. And, uh, you know, they haven't played a, te a team yet this year with that level of, of dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, to hear the Missouri State folks talk about it, I mean, this guy's Char Charlie Ward reincarnated, it sounds like. 5'11", strong-armed, uh, started some games at both Utah and Utah State before transferring here to Missouri State, um, 
he just seems to be one of those guys who has sort of the it factor. His numbers are good, but they don't necessarily blow you off the page. But he's just a guy who makes a ton of highlight reel plays. He keeps plays alive. He's very escapable. He can fit passes into tight windows. He just does all the stuff that looks really cool on film, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, it's the kind of thing that I think – a team like that needed, you know, because they've been so bad for so long. And Bobby Petrino comes in, and you bring in all this talent. But I don't care how much talent you bring in; it, it's kind of hard to just, you know, throw a bunch of new guys out there and expect them to put winning football together. And they had a good season in the spring. They went five and four and got into the playoffs. Lost in the first round. That's when they brought Shelley in, and he was clearly, I think, the the missing piece. And, uh, you know, to read some of the stories from, the, you know, Wyatt Wheeler, who covers Missouri State for their paper out there, he's just got – he's one of those guys that the other the other guys gravitate to. You know, they rally around him. He gets them to believe they can win. And they almost beat Arkansas last week, and Arkansas is ranked number 10. You know, that's not just any old FBS team. I mean, that's – that was impressive. They ultimately didn't, didn't hold on, which, you know, I think is probably to be expected, but um, – I think that was, even in a loss, that was sort of their coming out party a little bit. Like, okay, we're not just better than we used to be. We're not just a fringe playoff team like, say, USD or Southern Illinois. You know, like, we're a team that thinks we can play for a national championship. And they're ranked number four right now. And if they beat the Jacks on Saturday, you know, they're, they're calling this the biggest game in Missouri State history. Wow. You know, I mean, Woo. It, but, I mean, it, it's only the second time in their program's history that both teams have been ranked in the top five for one of their games. So I get it. And the neat thing is they haven't been on SDSU's schedule the last two years. So the Jacks haven't faced them under Bobby Petrino. The last time the Jacks played Missouri State was in Springfield when Dave Steckel was the coach. Jacks went down there and beat them 35-14 without so much as breaking a sweat. Right. And that was a Missouri State team that went 1-10, and fired Dave Steckel, and now it's a completely different thing. I talked to a couple of the players for the Jacks at practice on Tuesday, and I wanted to ask a couple of the guys who had been there in that yeah. 2019 game what do you remember it being like? And I, I talked to Quentin Hicks and Reese Winkleman, and they both said there were hardly any fans there, and the fans that were there were clearly not watching the game. <laughs> like they were just not paying any attention. It, you know, it, there was no at all sense of yeah. you know difficult road atmosphere. It was you know could have just as well been a neutral site or a home game. You know, I remember having talking with you about that, just uh, thinking this place is a sleeping giant. This is this is by far, if not by far. Certainly, decisively, the warmest. The southernmost place yeah. in the league, yes. Yeah, like how uh, is this not better? And it's not like it's not in a metropolitan area. Springfield's bigger than Sioux Falls, probably by a lot, I would say. And it's not far from Kansas City, St. Louis. Uh, yeah. So you get the right guy in, and by God, they got Bobby Petrino. And now I had never thought about this until this very moment on this podcast. Bobby Petrino, Nebraska. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. That's all, I mean – he 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 burns I mean, out. I'm sure he wants out of Missouri State as soon. Of as course he, can get out he does. Of I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't. Uh, I don't think he's even the kind of guy that would even lie and say that you know he wants to settle down I mean, and hunker he, in. He left the Atlanta Falcons in the middle of the season. Right. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, I had never. No one in Lincoln is even bandying about that name. But even I mean, he's, he's won everywhere. He's not that much older than Urban Meyer. He's won everywhere. Exactly. He, Except he, the Atlanta Falcons. But even then, he he took over that team thinking he was going to have Michael Vick. Yeah. And then right after yes. he took the job, Vic got yeah. kicked out of the league. And it's like, yeah. oh, 
Well, you yeah, know. yeah, he's an asshole and he's got some baggage, but I don't know if he has any uh, like illegal recruiting or that type, you know, allowing a guy to murder somebody and cover up for him type of thing, right. like Urban Meyer had right. with her. He's banging Hernandez. a hot volleyball player, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, anyway, I, I again, I don't think I'm gonna. Bru- I, I don't think that. Uh, that name is going to come up, but I'm, I'm sure he. anybody can do better than Scott Frost. Uh, two o'clock game at Missouri State. So the, the defense has been the strength of South Dakota State, and they're going to need it because this is going to be maybe their, maybe their biggest test outside of NDSU. But the offense, okay, again, Butler, it's hard to really gleam anything off the Butler game, but prior to the Butler game, uh, 250 yards against Cal Davis. 17 yards was their biggest play. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that was their biggest play for the first two games of the season. They had a 20-yard play against Iowa. Okay, thank you. Wow, look at you. Beat writer. You, you yeah, ran 17 yards was their longest game in the second game. Uh, so, I mean, how how equipped does it, if you got to get into a shootout and Shelley uh, gets it rolling, okay, yeah, where are we at here? I would, uh, I was answering this question from Wyatt Wheeler the other day, and I said, I was not blown away by SDSU's offense against Butler. And I think that's the right way to put it. You, d- you certainly didn't come away from that game going, oh, geez, you know, that was amazing. The Jacks are back. They were dominant. Um, you know, it was okay. Because, again, they're going against the Division three. That's Let's call non-scholarship football kind of it, what, it, what it is. It's essentially Division three. Um, and Butler hasn't been very good in that league either. Uh, so we're not going to give them too many points for, you know, too much credit for scoring 45 points against a non-scholarship team. Having said that, I thought the Jacks were way too defensive, at least John Stigemeyer was, about his offense in the Cal Davis game. Like, he, they only had 250 yards, and I was, you know, okay, you didn't move the ball much against Iowa, that's one thing, but it wasn't very good again today either, and I thought he seemed too defensive. I thought he should have been a little more willing to acknowledge, yeah, that was not a great game by our offense. So coming off those two games, and, and again, I, you know, I'm not alone in this thinking. Uh, you know, I talk to lots of Jacks fans all the time, people who follow this team, and the consensus from most of the people I talk to is, they don't necessarily have to score 75 points against Butler. They don't have to have, you know, seven one-play drives where they just hit big play after big play after big play. But if they can only score 28 points, 35 points against a non-scholarship team, then it might be time to worry. You know, not saying because again the line against Butler was 51, which I couldn't believe. I should have wow. bet on Butler to cover because everyone in the world knew Butler was going to cover that spread. I don't see a line for this game. Keep three and going. a half. Jacks well, by three and a half. Okay, thank you. Um, but anyway, it was kind of like okay, the Jacks don't need to come out and set the world on fire, but they need to do something against Butler. They need to create some momentum. They need to break some big plays, have some long drives, and they did all those things. They had some really nice long sustained drives, but they also finally got some big plays. They had some 40-yard, 50-yard plays, a 28-yard touchdown pass to Zach Hines. They had those big plays, and Mark Gronowski looked pretty good. Um, He didn't look great against Iowa, but I don't hold any of that against him. He had no chance based on the circumstances. He looked better against Cal Davis, but certainly not like the Missouri Valley Player of the Year from the spring season. Now last week against Butler, he took that's three games in a row he's taken a step in each game. If he just continues to do that, I think the Jacks are going to be fine. And Isaiah Davis, again, was held kind of in check. His longest run against Butler was 14 yards, I think. But he looked good. He ran hard. And he easily could have had 150 yards. The Jacks only gave him 11 carries because why? You didn't need right. to. Um, so I thought there was, like I said, the Butler game, you kind of go in that going, okay, if you don't show something here, it's time to panic. And they showed something. Again, I don't think it was, you know, 
amazing, world-beating, oh my God, I'm so blown away. But it was the step they needed to take. Sure. And I think they can have a lot more confidence now going into this next game. Does three and a half uh, favorite sound right out there? Is this Does this feel like a coin flip game? Uh, I think so. I mean, You're not going to be surprised by either result, likely. I certainly won't be surprised if Missouri State wins. I mean, they're the number four team in the country, and they're playing at home. Yeah. Um, one thing to consider, though, is they just played Arkansas. And there is very often both a mental and physical hangover yeah. after games like that. You know, the Jacks, you know, had, what, six guys go down with injury after they played Iowa. I don't think that happened to Missouri State. I don't think they uh, took a lot of a, you know, lost anybody necessarily in the game against Arkansas. But, again, that's just to be in a game like that. And it went the full 60 minutes. You know, they had the lead in the fourth quarter, went the whole way. It's really tough to bounce back from those games. Those games take a toll on the FCS team, usually both physically and mentally. I think that might be something that works in the Jacks' favor. Because, again, Jacks are coming off a game against a non-scholarship team. Mark Gronowski only played three quarters. A lot of the starters only played three quarters. Uh, they, they still have a ton of injuries because they lost so many guys in the first couple of weeks. Uh, but all the guys who are going to be playing on Saturday should be should be fresh and should be healthy. So and for what I it's worth, it's not a night game. I mean, that can't hurt you, uh, that it's not at night. and It's always harder to play a tough team on the road at night. Why do you say that? I would say because it's, I don't think I've ever heard that theory. it's always a more electric atmosphere at those kind of games. People have been drinking all day. Sure. Um, the, 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 oh, the sure. That's, that's why supposedly the home team wants to play those games of course. at night. Is, yeah, um, absolutely. It's a uh, Kirk Cousins melts in prime time yeah. on the road. Yeah. Uh, those are, uh, it's just, yeah, it's a tougher atmosphere to play against. Um, and I personally would hate being in town and having to sit around all day for you know, sick like sure because they whether it's a one o'clock kickoff or a seven o'clock kickoff, they get there the day before. Right. So if seven o'clock, I personally I would hate to sit around the hotel all day knowing for the players. Yeah, yeah for the players, the players. having to wait to play a game like that. Yeah. Uh, the Coyotes have North Dakota State at home. Uh, you're never really truly ready for North Dakota State, but the USD did beat Cal Poly 38-21, and kind of same thing. I'm sure that you were looking to decipher from the uh -huh. SDSU Butler game. The Yotes were looking for against Cal Poly, a must win. Uh, uh, the only win, some people would say, on their schedule for the first five games because now they've got NDSU and then at SDSU the next week. But they get the Bison at home. That's nice. Dakota Dome. Uh, you know, what kind of chance do you give them? How is, it, is this a North Dakota State team that looks legit like um, up, I'm there, sure, up there with I, NDSU I sure expected teams? them to beat Arizona, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I was of course. I, I was I don't surprised know if they I would say shocked, but I was definitely surprised. Sure. I think you most know, people they've were. They've beaten much better FBS teams than that. Yes. Um, so I don't know if that means anything. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like NDSU's play calling down the stretch of that game. I thought they should have won it. I thought they were the better team. Uh, but they didn't get it done. And what we just got done saying about playing those FBS teams takes a toll on you. Um, I think that'll be a factor for NDSU, too. Maybe not so much mentally for them, because I think they literally go into those games expecting to win, unlike the other ones who were kind of like, oh, wouldn't it be a miracle if we could pull off this big upset? Um, but still, NDSU, again, they had to play the full 60 minutes, you know, a very tense, in, you know, physical game. Uh, that, that, could, that could be a factor, because uh, USD mostly had their way with Cal Poly. I mean, it got... Cal Poly kind of hung around, but they were never really threatening to win. We said with USD, the big thing for them was just they had to win. I mean, yes, you wanted to see them 
finally do something on offense, and they did. And yes, you wanted to see you know this, that, and the other, but the bottom line was, based on their schedule, as you just alluded to, this was an absolute must-win game. If they'd have won the game 4-3, to three, they would have taken it. I mean, 38-21 is all the better. They did break out a little bit offensively. Carson Camp had a great game. Uh, Bob Nielsen was calling the plays, and he said afterwards that he felt a little rusty, but he thinks he's going to sort of get into the, the swing of it, get into a rhythm of calling the plays for that offense. So, uh, you know, I, I, I watched that almost all of that game, and it got off to a great start, kind of a little bit of a lull in the middle, and then I thought they finished relatively strong too. So you saw what you, what you needed to see and wanted to see from them in that game. Do I like their chances to beat the Bison? No, of course not. Who does? Um, yeah, yeah they, they've beat them once in the Division One era. But that was a year that USD wasn't a particularly great team, and they won that game in Fargo. You know, now they've got them at home. And like I said, North Dakota State's coming off a physical matchup with a Pac-12 team. So I wouldn't completely rule them out. I, I don't think the Coyotes have no chance, but I, you know, definitely expect the Bison to win. What do we make of Bob Nielsen calling the plays? As far as, like, why he's doing it? Yeah. Or, um, uh, yeah. You know, I, I think there's, you know, you look at the first two games, they scored seven points. I mean, that speaks for itself. Yeah, I guess, okay. <laughs> but I, I don't I, think it's, it's I, solely I, I, just, you know, I don't think it's just that. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing okay. Thank you. Well, I just think Bob felt like, given what's going on in that program right now, that was just what's best for the program for him to take on that role right now. Right. And so when I saw and I heard that, I, the, the, my first conclusion was, well, I mean, yeah, they scored seven points in their first two games. So let's give this, let's give this a try. And I don't know, do you know how long it had been since Bob had called plays? And when he gave that up and became a CEO, because he's been a head coach for a long, 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 long time. Well, Ted Schlafke was his offensive coordinator at Western Illinois mm. and came with him yeah. to, to USD, I believe. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that's the case. He apparently, oh, go ahead. And then also Ted was his quarterback at Duluth when Bob won the national championship in Duluth. Mm. So there, that's, you know, I don't know if father-son relationship is too strong, but... You know, those two go way, way back. Uh, Bob wouldn't do that unless he felt like it was what he absolutely had to do. Uh, as far as when was the last time Bob called plays, I don't know if he did it when he was at Duluth, if he had his own OC or, or how that worked. Um, but he has always been, that, 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 those are his roots. He's been an offensive guy as a coach going back to when he was coaching at uh, Ripon College. And I think he might have <laughs> had another stop before You're going way back. Duluth. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but. <laughs> Bob has a long history of being very successful, of having very good offensive players, very good offensive coaches. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that he decided that was what he needed to do, and uh, I'm not surprised that it went well for him in his first game doing it. Uh, leaned heavily on the run-pass option more than we've seen, which to me isn't a bad idea. If Coyotes have never, you know, if I could make a blanket statement about USD football in the entire Bob Nielsen era, probably before that, they just haven't had enough of an offensive line, and you, then you try to work your way around it and you, the best way they could. Their own line's pretty solid now, though. Okay, well, that's that, good. At least if Alex Jensen's healthy. Good for them. Uh, Carson Camp was 18 of 21, 355 yards, three touchdowns. Might have been his best game as a Coyote. Uh, ran for 75 yards on one particular play. So uh, the Coyotes, for what it's worth, have that head of steam that you need when you get ready for North Dakota State to come into town. 
Finally, uh, you had a chance to cover the Sanford International again. You mm -hmm. said last week you look more forward to it every year. This time you got to cover the first playoff that that event has had. Nope, they had it last year too. They did? Oh, okay. Second year in a row is a yeah. playoff. Okay, I didn't go at all last year. I obviously yeah. didn't pay much attention last year. Darren Clark uh, beat K.J. Choi and Steve Flesh okay. in the uh, playoff last year. Just took one, all one right. whole playoff. And that's what we got again this year. Yeah, with, it was uh, Steve Stricker. So is this more exciting, less exciting, or about as exciting? Uh, this one was more exciting because there was uh, a little more drama coming down. Ernie Els made a big push on in the final round, and uh, I was kind of rooting for him because sure, why not? he's a little bit of a bigger name. I mean, he's probably the most, other than maybe John Daly, he's probably the biggest name there. And uh, this is his third year in it, and this was by far the best he played. And just the way he came on in the second. Uh, back nine of the final round, it was like, hey, this is one of those times where a great golfer is getting hot and yeah. he's going to win this thing. Yeah. And then he had a terrible tee shot on 18, and that was all it took. That took him out of it. Steve Stricker, I mean, he's, you know, he's now won that thing twice in five years, and he's been in contention almost every year he's done it. He, whether he just knows that course or whatever, I mean, he, he, he uh, it, you remember it poured rain on the Thursday night before the first round which I guess I, this shows how little I know about golf, but that had all the players excited because they're like, okay, the greens oh, yeah. are going to be softer, so we're all oh, going to put yeah. up really low scores. Yep. Well, so And they did. Yeah, there were a bunch of 62s and 63s and 64s, and Stricker shot, I think, a 68. So he kind of felt like after the first round, well, pff, I'm, I'm out of it. You know, like I, Maybe not out of it, but he definitely realized he had missed an opportunity to take advantage of those conditions. Well, then they came back on the second day. It was hot and dry, and he was like, I have to make my move in this round because everyone else's, maybe their scores are going to come back up a little bit. Well, then he shot a 64 the second round when everyone else was shooting 68. That got him back into contention. Shot another 64 in the third round, and there he was. Yeah. Well, it seems very simplistic for me to say this, but I, I feel like his game is perfect for that course. That is what everybody calls an old-school course. Mm -hmm. It's not the longest that these guys play. Uh, so you have to be straight off the tee, and you have to have a really good short game, especially when those greens dry up and it's not easy for everybody to make putts. And that is Steve Stricker. That's always been Steve Stricker's game. That's what always made Steve Stricker a guy who, even though I, he never won a major, but, boy, he was close a million times. He always seemed to be in the top ten in a major not every major, but a lot. Like he was always there because he just he never miss hits a shot. He he doesn't boom it off the tee like a lot of guys do. He's not an amazing, you know, uh, theatrical player, but uh, he's just good and solid and consistent. And uh, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's any doubt that he's fit for that course, or else he wouldn't win two of the first five events there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, any, anything else? Any, any anything from? Your notebook of the mind that uh, stuck out to you, observations that you found funny or um, interesting, uh, flashpoints of uh, your time there this time around? Eh, not really. I just, I mean, I'm, I just kind of know how to cover a golf tournament now, which I didn't before. What do you so. mean by that? I mean, it used to, you know, go cover a golf tournament. Well, how do I know who's in the lead? How do I know who's where? How do I keep track of, you know, it just sort of took a while to get the lay of the land and sort of, Okay, here's the schedule, here's where they tee off. And understanding that, you know, a guy, especially in the third round, like Steve Stricker wasn't in the lead group for the third round because he was in, like, fourth or fifth place going into Sunday. So understanding, like, okay, these three guys are in the lead, but there could still be someone behind them 
Ernie Els was like, I think, in ninth place after two rounds. And all of a sudden, oh, this guy who's in the third group could win. So it's, it's just kind of complicated. And But once you sort of get that figured out, understand the lay of the land, you know, where the course is and where are the good places to stay and watch or where are the holes where guys are getting a lot of birdies or eagle opportunities, those sorts of things, you know. And then, uh, and then just being there on 18 for the end of it, that build out that they have there, that gallery oh, is that's that's really impressive. It's quite the uh, stadium that yeah. they built there. Yeah, and the players notice. I don't think it's lip service because I'm sure you did the story. Like they all said, one of the biggest crowds they get all year. Well, the first couple times they said that, whether it was Steve Stricker or Darren Clark or Andy North or whoever, this is one of the you know coolest things in the Champions Tour, and it's one of the best courses and best crowds. Like bullshit. Why would Sioux Falls, South Dakota, of all places, have one of the best you know? PGA Tour Champions events. Why would this golf course that most of us have played it ourselves, is this really comparable to a, a PGA event? You know, I think we just know that, I mean, how many people in Sioux Falls, and I mentioned this in my column, we've all been to a Twins game. We've all been to a Vikings game. We've all been to either a Huskers or Hawkeyes or Gophers game. Uh, how many of us have been to a PGA Tour event? Nobody. Very few people have actually gone to it. I know you have, but most people probably haven't. Yeah, you're right. So Probably. So I think for us to be told that this golf course right here in Sioux Falls can be transformed into one of the best events on the PGA Tour, even the Champions Tour, that's kind of like the first couple of times I heard that, I was like, bullshit, you're just paying us lip service. I don't believe that. And this year, when they started saying it again, I, I, was, I kind of tried to hold some of their feet to the fire. Like, really? Really? Do you mean that? Really? Is this really that good? And they all said, yeah, absolutely. And part of it is is the environment. It's more than just the golf course itself. I was going to say, I don't think it's the course. The course, no, I mean. Uh, they say the, the course holds up. It's as, it's, yeah. it's, there's nothing wrong with the course. Yeah. They certainly don't look at it as like, oh, this isn't worthy of a PGA Champions right. Tour event. But it's the added stuff, the environment, the atmosphere, the fans, the staff, the way the Sanford folks do it, the way the international folks do it. And then, like I said, the bill, everyone, you mentioned it, all the players talked about that build out on 18. Yeah. You know, that gallery that they create, that that's like, that's the kind of, st when you watch Tin Cup or B Happy Gilmore even, all these golf movies that we've seen, that's what it looks like. I mean, it, Andy North said, he's like, it looks like what you would expect a golf championship event to look like. Yeah, not just on the Champions Tour, like on the yeah. regular tour, yeah. like at a major yeah. almost. Yeah. And uh, it's brilliant, and it's been that way since day one of the Sanford a few years ago, whoever decided to do that. Uh, you know, because there isn't much seating anywhere else on the course. There's a tiny little thing on six. By the way, not that it matters anymore, keep it in your memory, but if you've gone out and followed, six is a great place to go sit and watch. That's what my dad and I did. It's a short par three, so you can watch, see, unlike mm -hmm. most holes, you can see these guys hit the shots in there. It's kind of on top of a hill, so you can kind of see the rest of the course. Uh -huh. And then obviously, it's a short par three, so uh, balls are flying close to the flag <laughs> stick, and, and there's birdie, Fred Couples made a birdie and did the whole, uh, kind of look over to the grandstand, ooh, how'd I make that putt, and uh -huh, kind of play uh -huh. to the crowd a little bit. And um, yeah, it, it's always a good time. And uh, to cover though, geez, uh, like you, yeah, you have to make some interesting decisions uh, where you're mm -hmm. gonna, which group you're gonna follow and where you're going to go. But yeah, I, the courses for Sioux Falls, I mean, it still is the nicest, most wonderful course in Sioux Falls, private or public, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's got some hilly holes and it's got some tough holes. It's got some scoring opportunities, whatever. But it's not, you know, compared to whatever they've, not only what all of them play on this tour, but also where they've played in their lives mm -hmm. all across the world, it's not that incredible of a golf course. It's, it's, it's how it's set up, and it's also the support it gets from Sioux Falls. And I think you mentioned it in your column. It's like, well, 
Fred Couples, I think this was his, was this his first year there? Or did he, no, did he, he was there at least last year. Okay, yeah. but he didn't come. I mean, Fred has been 50, he's in his 60s now. He finally came after about three of these, and how did that happen? I mean, either Sanford pays him a, an appearance fee, a thing that none of us ever talk about. That does happen at some places. Don't know They're if that saving that for Tiger Woods when he turns 60. Uh, probably. But, uh, you know, chances are somebody finally got somebody. Oh, no, they talked about that in the press conference. It's word of mouth. They do. You know, it gets around. That yes. This is a great tournament. The players told Fred, like, go play in Sioux Falls. Yeah. And Ernie Fred Couples is probably like, yeah. yeah, and they're probably like, why would I want to go play there? That seems like a great week to take. A Sioux Falls set, really? And, yeah, somebody on tour is like, no, really, dude. Yeah, go play. All right. We've said it all. We've done it all. Talk to you next week. Sounds good. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.